Welcome to another round, the podcast that gives you an insight into brewing. My name is Yonidar, and uh, today we are heading to Dayton, Ohio, where we today we'll be talking with the product manager of Lock 27 Brewing, Spencer Moore. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So, uh, so how are things over in uh, in Ohio? You doing all right? Yeah, yeah, they're they're doing well. We're we're starting to get busy now that spring is coming in. So, yeah, we're we're. We're going, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's that's good to hear. Um, yeah, it's super super early uh, in the morning for you, uh, which is uh, I'm always impressed with anyone who gets up before six o'clock in the morning, uh, and even getting up before six o'clock in the morning to do a podcast. I have a uh, mad respect for that, Spencer. <laughs> yeah, th- this is a little different. So uh, it's it's a little after four a.m. here. I'm I'm usually awake anyway. Um, <laughs> I, I go work out, I go run or something this early in the morning. Um, but yeah, doing a podcast this early, usually with podcasts, I'm, I'm drinking a beer. Yeah. Um, un- unfortunately it, it might be slightly too early for that. So, um, <laughs> but that's, that's all right. But yeah, uh, I'm, I'm always up this early. I think people know I'm usually up this early too. I have brewers that, you know, uh, first shift brewers around the state. They know if they have a technical problem. They can come to me because they know I'm awake. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so getting up this early, and you mentioned going out working out. Is this uh, is this something uh, a habit that you picked up from uh, from the Air Force, or was this something that you you got it before that even? Yeah, no, it was it was definitely the Air Force. Uh, you just learn to get up early, and then uh, when I got out of the, out of the Air Force, um, uh, at least full time, um, yep. I'm still a reservist, but uh, yeah, they your body just naturally wakes up. So yeah. I, I just naturally wake up and you know, if you don't start work till eight, you just think, well, I got nothing else to do. So you just go, go for a run, go, go work out. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's fascinating. Yeah. Like I said, anyone that does anything productive before six o'clock in the morning, I have huge respect for you guys. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Give me, give me a little bit of your, your backstory as, um, uh, as you you coming into uh, to beer, I understand this was around um, 2015. You you get into into brewing in in the UK, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So just like most of us, I think in the industry, I, I did homebrew for a little bit. Um, it, it wasn't long. So at that time, I was living in California, uh, which the beer scene out there is, is amazing. You know, uh, as far as the U S goes, the West coast, California, um, very, very amazing beer. I got into beer. Uh, I had some friends at home brewed and I said, Oh, that sounds great. I think I could do that. Um, and little did I know it would be like my, my entire life. Um, (laughs) it just, it just took over. So, uh, I did a little bit of home brewing and then, um, ended up moving to the UK I uh, was on a food tour in Cambridge. Uh, so we had just moved. I wanted to explore the city. So we took a food tour. They took us to all the pubs and everything. And we stopped by a brewery called Calverly's. They had great beer. Um, my wife was there. I told her, I said, I-, I think this is what I want to do. I think I just want to start doing this, work at a place like this. This would be great. And she just told me, um, well, why don't you just ask him for a job? So I did. I said, Hey, can I start working here? And they, uh, they said, uh, yeah, just start showing up. So, um, at that time they, they couldn't really pay me. Um, it was just kind of volunteering my time, Mm. uh, learning, learning how to professionally brew. Uh, and I got paid in beer. So, um, you know, 
that that's always a plus. <laughs> um, but yeah, they they taught me everything that they know, um, mm. which was which was amazing. And then after about a year, uh, they they said, "Hey, we can we can make you a full time brewer." Mm. Uh, they started paying me, and then I I kind of became their their lead brewer, main brewer. I, I was brewing like ninety percent of their beer at that point. Yeah. Um, so, so I definitely at least learned enough to, to, um, that they trusted me to, to brew all their beer. So, mm. uh, that was a great experience. Um, from there, I, once my visa was up, uh, had to unfortunately move back to the States and, and, uh, I moved to Georgia, uh, kind of down South, um, started at Line Creek, uh, which was a, a massive brewery. They were a startup, but they were they were massive. Um, mm. just to give you an idea, um, the, the, well, the, this is hard because in the UK I use the metric system. So I know all the metric stuff from there, but as soon as I moved to the U S we started using the Imperial system. So I only know Imperial here. So, that's, that's fine. Uh, uh, but it, at Calverly's, I, I think we were on a, when I started, it was a two hectoliter system. So very, very mm. small. And then we moved up to about a four or five hectoliter system by the time I left. Um, yep. In, um, in Georgia, I moved to a 30 barrel system, which is probably 35, 40 hectoliters, I believe. Um, so much, much bigger. Um, it, it was more traditionally craft beer where you had a canning line and you had big tanks Mm. and you had, um, you know, conical fermenters and things like that. So, uh, there was a lot of learning, not only learning the imperial system again, uh, <laughs> but uh, learning how to brew again. Um, so moved there. Um, I started out in packaging and I started out just brewing kind of pilot pilot stuff and then hmm. uh, eventually made my way to, to be the head brewer there um, very, very quickly. Just kind of kept doing more and more stuff until I kind of just moved up the company, which was yeah. which was great. But the uh, natural been, ladder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so became the head brewer there, kind of ran them for for a few years, uh, and then ended up finding myself in Ohio. Um, I worked for Wolf's Ridge Brewing, which is um, they're really, really great. They they're known for kind of um, cream ales. Um, I think I think when I was there one year, we made like thirty or yeah, about thirty different cream ales. Uh, <laughs> just different, different fruit or different, uh, flavorings or different everything. Uh, and I think of that 30, none were just a plain cream ale. I don't think we made a single, <laughs> just regular cream ale. I think they're all just flavored. Uh, their number one beer is like a coffee, vanilla cream ale. It's, it's Ooh. really amazing. Um, I think nice. it has, uh, I, I won a lot of awards there with that. I think we have three GABF medals with that one and then they they won everything with that so yeah. uh, very very good beer um uh, and then uh my intention was actually not to leave wolf's ridge um uh, but i had an offer from lock 27 uh they were hiring um and it was a uh, you know mo- just naturally moving up in my career um to to a production manager and um they uh they needed help. So, so I moved into lock 27, uh, to kind of help them. Um, uh, I don't want to say fix any issues, but, but really to fix any issues that they had. Um, 
and and kind of show them how a production brewery needs to be run. Yep. So so that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah. So and 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 lock um, lock twenty seven. That's uh, from my understanding. It's it's uh, it's named after um, a canal um, that is uh, connecting Ohio River and Lake Erie. If I'm yeah yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, there 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 is a canal. Uh, it was it was very integral in in kind of the state of Ohio, but really in Dayton, Ohio, and. Um, there's a lot of transport and stuff on that river. Uh, hmm. Lock 27 was a lock that kind of raised the boats up and down that, that river. Um, lock 27 doesn't exist anymore. I, hmm. I don't think I I'm, I'm almost positive. It doesn't <laughs> exist anymore, uh, but the river's still there, but uh, obviously as industries changed, yeah. uh, the, the river isn't as, as populated with boats as it, as it once was. So makes um, sense. But yeah, and and started in in two thousand and and twelve by Stephen Michelle Barnhart. Yes, yeah, uh, and and they still own the company. Um, mm. It's still a family owned family owned brewery, and um, yeah, he's it's owned by them too. And then we have two locations now. Mm. So the original location is is Centerville, Ohio, which is just south of us. Um, it is a I don't think the original system's in there, but the the system we have now is a three barrel system. It's mm. a it's a restaurant style, I, I would say, brewery. Um, a lot of people come in, have meals, and and um, uh, just have a beer or something with their meal. Um, and then the location, the other location is our production facility. It's a much bigger facility. We have a twenty barrel system there. Mm. Um, we're attached to a baseball field. Uh, okay. at our production facility. So uh, that crowd is a little bit different because mm. people aren't going in to have, I mean, some people are coming in to have meals, but a lot of people are coming in just to, just to have beers before the game or we're downtown Dayton. So, you know, maybe you have a few beers and then uh, there's, I think five breweries within a mile block of us. So, you know, they may have a few beers here and then go to the next brewery, have a couple beers, go to the next brewery, have a couple yep. beers. So, yeah. Uh, it's it's a great location um, in Dayton. So that and that also explains a little bit of the the style that you're you're brewing with uh, with Locke is is pretty. Uh, it's wrong to call it old school because <laughs> because using citra is not old school, but let, let's call it old school craft in terms of uh, uh, the core and and flagship range with uh, pale ales, wits, IPAs, golden ales, and and um, and, and brown ales. Are these uh, newer creations or have they been around since uh, the opening uh, some uh, 10 11 years ago uh some of these have been around for for a while um they it was something i had to get used to also i i think mm. it's more of a a dayton thing yeah uh where most of the crowd does drink very traditional styles um yeah the the citra pale ale it's it's uh, Always Sunny in Dayton is is the name, and it is all it a hundred percent Citra. Uh, hmm. It's not dry hopped excessively either. Um, it's just kind of your. I don't want to say nineteen nine. It's a nineteen ninety style pale ale with you know kind of mid two thousands hop, but it's that that's what people want. the The IPA uh, Mouth Breather is our IPA. Um, it uses your kind of traditional American sea hops. 
Mm. Uh, again, not dry hopped excessively. It's not actually super bitter. Uh, it's it's clear, which you don't see a lot of clear mm. IPAs nowadays. Nope. Um, and then it uses some crystal malts, which again, I, I don't think if you created a, a recipe nowadays, <laughs> you would use crystal malts at all. So nope. um, it is very traditional, but um, the... Those are our number one selling beers by by mm. far, which is uh, was odd to me. Moving to Dayton, I I I, f- I didn't know how to accept that. I was like, no, people <laughs> want all these crazy things, uh, you know, and and they they don't. Some people just want to drink beer, and you're you're <laughs> like, okay, well, you just want a beer, we'll get you beer. Um, that said, we we have been experimenting with um, newer styles and, and stuff like that. Um, mm. We luckily Centerville, our Centerville location is a small enough location that we can kind of uh, do R&D and pilot batches. So I have a brewer there and he brews a different beer every single week. So uh, and it's kind of whatever we want to create. Some of those have gotten bigger. Um, Like we keep a uh, we do a uh, milkshake Hefeweizen. Mm-hmm. uh all year now um so i know i know uh that sounds a little odd and uh it's not something i drink but people love it um so we had um i don't know if y'all get it over there so there's a yeast company omega over here and they've been using yep. um uh crispr to kind of uh bioengineer some yeast so mm. they they have hefeweizen yeast that doesn't produce clove it only produces the banana mm. type flavor uh, so we use that in a Hefeweizen. We put a lot of lactose in it. We put a lot of banana in it. Um, we use uh, a lot of vanilla in it. Wait, it- wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're, <laughs> you're, you're putting the banana back in the, the, in the original German banana beer? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this yeah, is it's, it's very meta. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we do all of that and, and it tastes like a banana milkshake. Yeah. Um, it's huh. it's delicious. It's delicious. Uh, I again, I I don't drink it, but a lot of people do. So we we have kind of the extremes, you know. We have the traditional kind of pale ale or IPA, and then we have you know banana hefeweizen. So yeah, um, but I think it I think it's a little bit interesting as well having two locations as you as you do and with a, a pretty diverse crowd. It sounds like um, yeah. you need to have those those best sellers, which I think can be a little bit forgotten you know in all the haze and fruits and everything uh, that people right, just right. want beer with quote-unquote beer flavors in them uh, in, right, in right. like that so yeah. um but I, I think mentioning a, you're talking a little bit a little bit about about fruit you're also the ambassador of uh, aseptic fruit purees um what what does that entail for you yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll start with the story of how I got into that. And then I'll, I'll kind of tell you what, what that means for me. Um, so back when I was brewing in Georgia, um, uh, at Lion Creek Brewing, um, we had a couple fruit beers, um, aseptic fruit purees. They're out of Georgia. So we wanted to use a local company um, for our fruit purees. Uh, we use them for a beer. Um it was a passion fruit uh, Berliner Weiss, and so uh, we won some awards with it. We mm. we we won a, a World Beer Award or something with that, and so um, we just let them know. We said, "Hey, 
your fruit is great. We've we started winning awards with this beer, so we just appreciate you. So they came by. I met um, Alex, which is the owner over there, and um, was able to just start a friendship uh, with him. And and at that time, they just took a bunch of pictures. They said, "Hey, we'd like to do a photo shoot and and really like use your brand to to." expand our company. I said, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Mm. Um, I did maybe a YouTube video for them and, and that was kind of it for a while. Um, and then I, I moved on. So I, I kind of forgot about that relationship that I had with them. Um, now go a couple years later, I was working somewhere up here in Ohio and somebody showed me on Instagram. It was my photo being used for for advertisements yeah. for aseptic fruit purees. And I said, Oh, that's great. I said, but that's a few years old. So I, <laughs> it was weird that they were st- like at the time I knew why they were using it, but yep. a few years later I was like, they didn't get any new pictures of me, you know? <laughs> so uh, it, it was odd. And then more and more people would just message me, Hey, is this, is this you in this photo? And I was like, yeah. So as a joke, I, I told all my friends, I said, Hey, anytime photos of me pop up on your, on your Instagram, just comment or, or DM them, just say, Hey, I want to see more Spencer. Or, hey, I want to, uh, man, that guy's so good looking or, you know, uh, and they would just kind of troll the account. Um, well about a month or two of that goes on. And then I get a phone call from aseptic and they, uh, they say, we don't know what's going on, but anytime we post a picture of you, like the algorithm goes crazy and we just get all these comments and, and stuff like that. And uh, they said, do you want to do you want to do this full time for us? And I said, yeah, that's that'd be great. So um, so I sent them some more pictures, some updated photos, and mm. then um, I kind of work with their social media team to uh i I look at all their posts and and kind of make sure they're they're not brewers Um, they're just a fruit company so they don't really know a lot about brewing so sometimes they send me stuff and say hey does this make sense from a brewer's perspective even if it's just a meme like hey does this is this meme funny like we don't (laughs) really know so uh so i do that and then um i do videos like short tiktoks or or Mm. instagram reels for them um so uh, a lot of uh, about half of it's educational and about half of it is just kind of funny uh, TikTok trends or, or whatever that yeah. is, uh, which is funny for me, too, because I'm not huge on social media, but uh, I had to learn it very quickly. Um, yeah. Just just like uh, just just scrolling through, like, what is the new trend? Oh, it's to sing this song. So yeah. then you're just like, you know. Uh, my brewers, I, they probably think I'm ridiculous cause I'm downstairs and I have a camera. I now have like a tripod and a camera and lights and oh, ring uh, lights yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, Hey, I got to make my TikToks today. So, uh, but yeah, so, so I do a lot for that for aseptic fruit purees. And then, um, uh, on their website, they have blog posts, some educational kind of blog posts and articles. So I write those. Anytime they're in a magazine, I, I help them write um, mm. articles for that. Um, and, and through that process, I, I guess I'm the expert on fruit. Um, mm. I would say when I when I first started with them, I I probably wasn't the expert you wanted to go to. Um, yeah. I, I don't uh, 
I know this is a podcast and I should say this, but I'm not huge into fruit beer. Uh, <laughs> that said, I, I've learned to be uh, yeah. really big into fruit beer and, and I learn how to, how to use it correctly and, and, and what flavors match and, and, and how to do all that. So um, I do get comments and I do get questions all the time about fruit. Uh, people mm. that know that I'm in the aseptic fruit business, they, they do ask me fruit questions and I've just had to really learn how to become a, uh, a fruit expert and fruit ambassador. So, so that's kind of what I do for them. And, and that's how I got into, into that, that fruit business. And it's, it's great. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't keep me too busy so that I can actually do my, my brewing job. Um, Hopefully. But, but still uh, be able to help them on the side. Yeah. So you're, you're the first like international uh, fruit beer uh, ambassador. I like that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but I, I, I like that too. I'm going to start putting that on my business cards. Yeah. <laughs> Go straight on LinkedIn with that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but th- like there is so much to choose from. And uh, now only taking a little bit from the, from the, the, the lineup that they have, like anything from lime mango to like uh, Kuruba, uh, this uh, banana passion fruit to, to black currant. So, so how how do you go about selecting the right fruits, the right style? Um, where where does your inspiration uh, starts when uh, when working with fruits like that? Yeah, so it it depends. Sometimes I like to start with the fruit. Um, I, I find that to be easier. Um, mm. um, whereas, oh, that fruit looks interesting. I want to use that. Um, mm. Sometimes I've never tasted a fruit, so that's a little bit harder harder to do. So um, I may order fruit so that I can taste it. Um, but yeah, I start at the fruit. So let's say we do uh, like mango passion fruit is is a good combination. So I want to use mango. I want to use passion fruit. Um, that's what I'm starting with. And then I kind of go, okay, what type of beer styles go well with these? And, mm. and a lot of times most beer styles – do I mean I wouldn't put bingo passion fruit in like a stout or like a brown ale, but I guess you could if you really wanted to. But uh, yeah, your your either sour bases are usually pretty good for most fruits. Um, mm. uh, a blonde ale, blonde ale is really good for showcasing fruit. Um, mm. So sometimes if I just want to showcase the fruit, a blonde ale is the way to go. Uh, and then pale ales, IPAs, that type of stuff. So I kind of go from there, and then to choose the ingredients you really want to complement the fruit. So mm. usually the base of your beer, you don't want a lot of maltiness or anything like that. Uh, and then you choose your hops. Uh, obviously your fruitier hops uh, can go very well um, with that. So, so I kind of go start with fruit and go the other way. That mm. said, um, sometimes um, my sales manager may come to me and say, Hey, we need this style of beer. So we need a mm. sour beer that has fruit. Um, and sometimes they may even go, uh, we have too many pink fruit beers on. So make sure the, the, the beer isn't going to be pink, choose fruits that aren't going to turn the beer pink or turn the beer a different color, like stick to light colored fruit. So sometimes that's the way I go. Um, Mm. uh, and then you kind of have to navigate that. Um, so, Mm. but yeah, so that's, that's kind of how I choose my fruits. Um, a lot of times most fruits go together, so you don't necessarily have to worry about does this go with this, but um, sometimes, yeah, you do. And and 
it's it's always good to taste all your ingredients anyway. So, you know, order your ingredients or if you don't want to open up boxes of fruits or whatever, order you can pretty much get fruit juices or fruit powders of, of any fruit. So order small samples of that, kind of mm. mix them together, see if they taste good and, and go from there. Yeah, that's a good uh, good advice. Um, I assume that you're using the majority of uh, fruits in uh, in the fermentation? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, kind of mid to end of fermentation is is mm. when we add it. We add it in, into the fermenter. Um mm. That said, I, I have tried some other methods. So um, we recently did a beer. We did a collaboration with New Belgium, um, and we did a sour. Uh, we did a sour beer with them with fruit. It was a dragon fruit mango um, fruit beer. It was delicious, and uh, New Belgium actually told me to use it. Just put it in the fermenter, and then when you're done with your boil, just rack your beer, knock out your beer onto the fruit and then just have the fruit in there through fermentation. Uh, Mm. So we did it for that. We've done it for a couple other beers since then, just to kind of see how it reacts. And and for the most part uh, that works just as well. I've, I've found so, Mm. uh, and I do find that that method for us is a lot less messy. Um, I know fruit can get, (laughs) Can get messy so if it's already in a clean fermenter and then you you put it in it it's a lot less messy um that said you may lose some of the aromatics that way um mm. not not a ton not as much as maybe they would have you believe but you do lose some aromatics so if you have it towards the end of fermentation you still get some of those fruit aromatics um so we use it there um and then we do a little bit of barrels um I find you can just put the fruit right in the barrels as long as it's not very pulpy. Yep. Um, uh, so if it's not too pulpy, you can you can just put it right in the barrel and, and that works and it'll it'll ferment over time. So, mm. yeah. and, and I guess like putting it in the beginning like you're, you're doing, you also, <laughs> quote unquote, you start with all the sugars because uh, one of the challenges could be uh, you're half done with your fermentation, you're adding your fruit and you're ad- basically adding new... Um, new sugars to the yeast, which will be super happy and can create, uh, like you say, a little bit of a, a mess as well, I can imagine. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we, we've definitely had that problem before too, or, you know, anytime you add anything mid fermentation, um, it, it's going to react. Right. So, uh, and sometimes it's just adding more sugar and the yeast just, just kind of explodes. But, um, also, mid fermentation, there, there's a lot of uh, CO2 in solution mm. still. It hasn't escaped, so you're just creating all these nucleation points, and then you just have a geyser. So you always have to like <laughs> whether you're dry hopping. Uh, that that's the big one is is dry hopping mid fermentation, but adding fruit mid fermentation uh, can be similar. Where you're just if you take your time, you're gonna have you're gonna have a bad time. You're gonna have to clean up a big big mess. So. Uh, yeah, it makes it a little bit easier. And and uh, and you are using the the plate of pros from us uh, uh, as well, which I can imagine, especially if you're adding fruit like uh, halfway through fermentation, it will be a little bit easier to um, uh, know where you're at in terms of fermentation and how how much is fermented. But do you see any uh, any work with that in in the beers you made? Yeah, for for sure. Yeah, uh, we love the plate of pros. Um, uh, it's, it's very odd. So I have it at both locations. Mm. Um, and it, 
it's really changed that that's really changed my life. But um, yeah, we'll, we will add when you add the fruit, like it's very obvious. It shows up on the, on the Play-Doh app. Like you can see the, the, uh, the gravity jump up and mm. then start to go back down and, um, and level off and everything like that. So yeah, it, it, it makes it easier even to calculate um, how much sugar is even added. And sometimes that takes a little bit of time for, for all that fruit to kind of get mixed in. But mm. um, yeah, like normally you would take a gravity reading and then you would add all your fruit, let it mix up uh, and then take another gravity reading. And then you do the math on how much that added to your, to your starting gravity. Yeah. Uh, but if you have the Play-Doh Pro, you can kind of just uh, you can kind of just look at it. You know, you don't have to take the readings. You kind of just look at the the graph and you go, okay, well, I added half a play-doh or I added a full play-doh to to the to the gravity. So, mm. so that always helps. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the play-doh pros they they have helped me in other ways too. In the sense of, um, I used to come in every day, even on the weekends. Uh, just come in, take some gravities, make sure everything's going correctly. Um, mm. because if you have to crash a beer at a certain time or you need to dry hop at a certain time, like you need to know the gravity every single day. Um, mm. with the Play-Doh pros, I, I don't do that anymore. Um, we still take manual gravity readings every day that we're at work, but on yeah. the weekends, I don't necessarily come in. I can just look at my phone and say, Oh, this is there. And this is there. Um, yeah. Uh, and then it also tracks temperature and stuff like that. So I can make sure everything's the correct temperature. Um, what is funny about that is cause I can set alarm. So if it gets too hot or too cold, like my phone goes off and tells me, Hey, you need to check this tank. Um, what is funny is the only times we've had problems with fermentation is, uh, we had the, the Play-Dohs out of the tank and we sent them mm. back to get new Play-Dohs. And during that one week time frame. <laughs> You know, is is the one time that like somebody forgot to turn the glycol on the tank on, and so like we came in the next day and like the uh, the the beer is like twenty degrees warmer than it should be, and you're like, how did this how did this happen? But it's because I didn't have the play to, and, and I don't know if I've just become too reliant on it because in the past it's never like we've had them you know but over the past year uh for sure it's uh it, it's definitely saved me uh more times than not just just having them in there and uh making sure i'm i'm good and making sure my team is good as far as uh not you know as it's good yeah. it's good to hear it it, uh, it works and gives the safety and so, sorry yeah. about that beer i i uh, i, I can't imagine uh, seeing you running at like uh, 4:30 in the morning with some rage against the machine and like the play-doh app uh, <laughs> all alone <laughs> i like that that image <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 and it, it definitely does that where it's like hey this is happening and you're like oh i gotta go into work so you just kind of <laughs> run into work but yeah, yeah. <laughs> um Uh, all right, Spencer. We're we're taking. I've taken uh, a lot of your time. I, I appreciate that. Maybe I'm just saying something which I, th I think is really interesting here. Just just in the in the end here, what is like in store for 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 you and and for Lock Twenty Seven? Because, um, like you say, you're mentioning there's two locations. It's now ten years. Ten years is uh, a long time in the craft beer yes. uh, beer business. What is uh, sort of the um, where's the the way going now for you guys? Um. 
it's uh, I I don't really know. Uh, as we we have some new things coming out, um, we're we're trying to find uh, what is the next thing in our industry, right? Like we know that at a certain point, beer is uh, already kind of dropping off a little bit. Breweries, for some reason, are still going up. That, that hasn't crashed yet. I, I don't know how in the United States we have 9,200 breweries or something like that. Uh, but beer beer sells itself is, is going down. And, and um, you know, you see the rise of uh, RTDs and the rise of... Um, kind of spirits and, and mixed drinks and stuff like that. Mm. Um, so we've actually, um, uh, we've actually started, uh, sake, um, mm. which, which we found we can do, uh, under our license. So, um, that's kind of our way to get into that space, um, into a new space, I think. Um, so we've done, we've done some trial batches of, of some sake. It's, it's almost like going back. We can go back to the beginning of this podcast as as far as home brewing, because uh, that's what it feels like, right? Like <laughs> we're using equipment that's not made for this yet. Uh, we we haven't invested in a big sake brewery yet. Uh, we're, no. we're still experimenting. We're still making like half a barrel at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, we found there's a lot you can do with it. You can make RTDs with it. We do a sake mm-hmm. seltzer, uh, which is which is. Uh, very tasty and and stuff like that. So uh, that's a one of the directions. And then uh, we also make an inexpensive beer now uh, that we call mm. Hank. Um, and and Hank is just uh, the style of beer. We just call it ice cold beer, right? Mm. <laughs> um, uh, it's it's a beer for people that just walk in. They say, "Hey, I just want a beer," um, yeah. which happens more often than not. Uh, but we also keep it at a price point that everybody can afford. Um, as, as, um, inflation kind of rises and, and stuff like that, you, you see people, more people not going out. Um, so we want to just make things more affordable for them. So as most pints are maybe seven or $8 a pint, uh, that one's $4 a pint. Um, and then when we sell it to, uh, to maybe bars or restaurants or, or shops around town, uh, we're selling that uh, at maybe 75% of the price as most other craft beer, just so mm. they can pass on those savings to to their customers. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're kind of going to two directions in, in that sense. Um, but that said, we're, you know, my, my team, my production team, we, we just want to make great beer. So that's yeah. what we're continuing to do. Um, we're, we're still making all our same core beers. We're, we're still experimenting with beers we want to make. Um, and beers that we want to drink really. So, um, that's kind of, kind of the direction, um, we want to go. And then on the side, yeah, we're, we, we have the sake. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's a, a it's an in- interesting way of, of, uh, of, uh, tackling the challenge of a, a decrease in sales of, of craft beer, uh, because, uh, looking outside of, of craft beer. And I mean the craft beer styles, uh, the old IPAs and the palas and the stouts and whatnot. I think it's a very smart uh, move, both uh, towards uh, RTDs, uh, the seltzers, the even the ciders, and uh, and then looking at what do most people drink. And I think uh, you're you're looking in the, in two camps, which is uh, is very smart to to be looking at. So uh, so so good on you. Um, yeah, yeah Spencer, you. Spencer I'm not going to take any more of your time. I know uh, now it's uh, you're probably late for your morning morning run and. Uh, <laughs> 
yeah, you're good. And and, and based on uh, on uh, your your Instagram, you're probably two workouts short of today uh, already. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to thank you for for taking the time, sharing your story and uh, the story of uh, of Lock Twenty Seven, and maybe giving some inspiration to the brewers out there to experiment a little bit more with uh, fruits as well. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much for having me. This was uh, this, this was fun. Uh, good to hear. Good to hear. All right. Thank you for the talk, Spencer. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you for coming with me to Dayton and talking to Spencer from Lock 27 Brewing. In this podcast, we will be going all around the world of fermentation. And for now, we'll be staying in the US for our next episode. So don't forget to subscribe to get all the episodes from this very first season of Another Round with Plato. And remember that sharing is caring. So do feel free to share this with a friend, fellow brewer, or just someone very interested in fermentation. And until next time, don't forget to have fun, drink well, and take care. Mm-hmm.